0: Hello, everybody. I haven't seen you guys in a while. So, here's what I have for you. I have a little something I just got to put on out there. We are going to be without Jay for the first 30 minutes. He's uh, driving home from an event somewhere in Memphis, I believe. And uh, he told me that he thought he was going to be a little bit behind. And he said he should be home in about 30 minutes. So we'll have him for the second half. So this for this first half, I'm going to go through my notes, what I have underlined. And I want to take some uh, time to read your comments. Your comments and maybe even take a couple of your calls. Why the hell not, right? So the call number would be the same if we get to that. But if, uh, who knows, by the time I get to where we are... By the time I get to where we are um, in this reading, it may be time for Jay to show up. So what did we cover in session for session three? Chapters seven through 11. I had a now this is really where we start getting into the journey and the arcs of the characters as far as bernard marx goes and lenina they go to the indian reservation and there is a very very odd turn of events there now bernard marx he's a he's just i believe he is i'm sure many of you do at this time too just a completely insecure slime ball there was a time in the earlier parts of the book where you feel bad for him and well at least i did and seeing that okay this is this is a guy who Uh, in, in a system that is genetically carbon copied so many people who are just carbon copied he just happened to have the bad luck of coming out and being a little bit more deformed than all the rest and didn't get all the women and has a little bit more compensating to do and uh, uh, on, uh, aside from that, he starts actually having general, genuine questions about the quality of the life that everybody's having in this very controlled, isolated system. About about the, the the interaction between people, men and women. What goes on on the other side? What are we missing out on? And then, of course, there comes this interest in in the uh, the world, the land of the savages. Now, uh, we see something that's very interesting. And I'm just going to go through a little bit of what I have here. Uh, we're on the reservation in Chapter 7. they They're having Lenina is having a, a particularly hard time. A particularly hard time here. She's not liking a lot. Everything is really screwing with her. She doesn't have her... She doesn't have her Soma with her. So she is experiencing a lot of the dirtiness. The dirtiness and the rawness of life. The... But but they they get into a little bit more a little bit more trouble than we think, and this is when we get introduced to John the Savage. Now, I think that this is really interesting. A lot of things I'm just going to throw out there, and I'm going to go into some general feelings. On page 110, I wrote down. Oh no! Here here you go. Obamacare. What's the matter with him, whispered Lenina. Her eyes were wide with horror and amazement. This is when she lays eyes on the really old, the really old Indian. The really old Indian. He must be in his 80s. He's like emaciated. He's just old. He's lost all his muscle tone and he's very skeletal. The, the stringy, the stringy white hair and it's really made her feel uncomfortable. What's the matter with him, she whispered. Her eyes were wide with horror and amazement. He's old, that's all, Bernard answered as carelessly as he could. He too was startled, but he made an effort to seem unmoved. Old, she rep- she repeated. But the director's old. Lots of people are old, but they're not like that. Saying, "Well, what the hell does that mean?" Then we start realizing that in this society Old is just about 60 years old, 60 or so, whatever that, whatever it is beyond that. Whenever you outlived your usefulness in the field as a worker, a laborer or something like that, you are literally put out to pasture, whether it be through just the genetic, the, the way that the genetics turn out that you hit a wall at 16. That's it. But, you know, just like over here, people say that, oh, well, well with socialized health care, that whole the whole thing that death panels would exist so that they would ration health care for people who are a little bit more viable than others. We've heard people like um, Ezekiel Emanuel, who was one of the so-called architects of Obamacare, even say himself that uh, that people past 75, people shouldn't live past 75, and they shouldn't qualify for a lot of extended care in these kinds of systems because it's a you know it's not tenable you can't you can't pay for it but also we know what their mindset is we understand how they want to just bleed the world of the old which is sad in itself uh for pe- those of us who grew up in a um in times where which which venerated our elderly a lot more where we loved our grandparents and we were um, we were amused by our great grandparents if they had if we had them just to know that we came from them uh, i didn't have a very close relationship with my great grandparents i was only about 5 or 6 when they when they died they spent a lot of time holding me um, but I, I didn't get close to them still i remember them just i just remember them being I don't know oh, that's my great grandparents you know i came from them they're my grandparents parents and that was amazing to me to and uh, though I didn't know too much about them, they they just seemed like a very important, powerful link to my past. I was I was actually thinking this kind of stuff when I was that age, and now that I get to look back on it all with the the many years that I have um, captured on video camera, it's uh, it just, it's just so stark a difference than what's in this book, where the elderly are obscene. As you see, Mother is obscene when they meet Linda. Meet Linda, who is obviously, you get to, you put two and two together real quick. Linda, the haggard older woman who gave birth to John, John the Savage, is the long lost love of the director, the director of hatcheries, who went to the reservation and lost her. He probably left her there because he got her pregnant and I guess uh, that was just it. Now I, I don't know. Th- did anybody out there catch? Maybe I'll ask Jay this when he shows up. But the whole the whole thing that I lost, maybe I, I had overlooked it or I, I lost it in translation or something. But the whole thing that I had lost here was um, exactly what the what the circumstances for Linda being left behind was. If the director wanted to get rid of Linda because she was pregnant, then why not just get her an abortion? Other than that, Linda doesn't seem like she really wants to be on the reservation. Linda seems like she really, really wants to be back in the other place, back in the, 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 war, the stable world. I mean, she uh, she longs for it. It's very, very uh, obvious. She's taking peyote. She's taking other types of drugs to be able to get around um, her her still long, long uh, hunger for having the soma in her life. But there is um, there's so much there that she she longs for. So I I, I didn't understand what the, the the disconnect was all about. Uh, I'll I'll check out the chat room in a little bit and see what you say. Let's see here, more, more references to the blood and how they keep people young. That's because they don't allow them, we don't allow them to be that way. We don't allow them to be old. Then he goes into the process there. We keep their internal secretions artificially balanced at a youthful equilibrium. We don't permit their magnesium calcium ratio to fall below what it was at 30. We give them transfusions of young blood. We keep their metabolism permanently stimulated. So of course they don't look like that, they don't look like that partly. Youth almost unimpaired till 60 and then crack the end. you heard that one? Now um, so when I read this, I started thinking to myself, you know we we are the savages. You and I, who wants to live, uh, you know, unencumbered by all this nonsense and all this social constructionism and deconstructionism, we're the savages here. The elite, they, I mean, they have the privilege of life-extending technology, or at least they're in pursuit of it, and uh, we're being slowly diminished away uh, as as collateral damage, but, I mean, we really are anything, we are the savages it's terrible she said lenina said she was left to face the horrors of Malpheus unaided the spectacle of two young women giving giving their breasts to their babies made her blush and turn away how all this stuff is still obscenities the way that you you know uh anything you the, the way that sexual interactions and intimacy in that respect sexual in- intimacy would make some of us turn away and blush and all that stuff. It's the complete opposite. But of course, that inverse has been very widely established in this book so far. Lenina liking the drums of the natives. Uh, these drums beat out just like the same rhythms in, in all of the uh, the four-day celebrations. There's a lot of that going on there. And what we are seeing too in all of this is that there is a definite... You know how they're talking about the extinct languages of the past and what uh, what have you. Well, um, also Christianity, we are seeing what has become a a bleed over and uh, an amalgamation of both native ancient native religions and Christianity. So in the world, in the world where this is still allowed, this kind of spirituality is still allowed to be practiced and pursued, we see a um, a hybrid form of Christianity being formed, uh, mixed in with ancient Native American cultures too. So there's that we start seeing popping up around. Um, let's see. Uh, I guess to jump ahead just a little bit because I want to keep this thing moving. Uh, again here you go Linda by the end of chapter seven Linda obviously misses it all and what I don't understand here too is why why she had John why she had the baby they keep talking about uh, their their contraceptive practices are being a part of what is described as the Malthusian drill I'm sure Jay will bring that up as we go along here because that Malthusian population control way of living. Again, this is the 1930s that this came out. Just incredible stuff. So now we have Linda and John all throughout Chapter Eight. You learn a lot about uh, a lot about the way that John grew up, and it's it's traumatic. You think about how this guy ha- is b- belongs nowhere. John belongs nowhere. He's curious about the world um, uh, whence his mother came. Where did Linda come from? And he wants to know more about that world. He's interested in books. He's interested in, in, in life. He's never fit in with the natives, though, because his mother was so badly uh, damaged by all the conditioning of the uh, the tightly controlled, once westernized world that she has made their entire life uh, a living hell, a pariah. She's sleeping with all the men. She's constantly beat up because of it by all the other women. She has these really unstable relationships. She doesn't know any, there's no etiquette there. And as a result of that, John, like Rudolph, is excluded from all the reindeer games. So um, it's a, it's a, it's, If you if you thought that there was going to be any kind of a break in the weirdness in the um, In the depressive nature of this this uh, book the the hole only gets dug deeper and deeper and deeper and you feel more more for characters like John and uh, even Linda such a lamentable character, but throughout everything throughout everything that she suffered at the hands of the hatchery directors and the conditioning directors over there, there was still that instinct that came out of her from time to time to protect and love her son, John, though, when she gets back into the real world, we'll talk about that in a second. Now, here we have this, um, what's this? Page 130. How do you how do you make the chemicals, Linda? Where do they come from? Oh, there's a little bit more there about how compartmentalized everything is. The more the boys pointed in saying, the harder the real. Uh soon she could read all the words quite well. And now this is about this is about uh how he learned to read and how he he was becoming a little bit more uh interested in things. I almost feel like the ships of John the of the of John the Savage and Bernard Bernard Marx they're like ships passing in the night at the beginning of the film of the move of the book it seems like Bernard is a little bit out of step with everybody else in his class of genetically created uh civilians he's a little bit out of step and perhaps from there he can start poking the bear he can start F- following himself, following that curiosity, and and maybe make some revelations and and who knows, maybe break free. You're almost rooting that Bernard Marx can be this guy who breaks free from the Matrix and finds some kind of a Zion, uh, just like in the Matrix, somewhere that is off the grid and and, and living a life that he's looking for, where people are more loyal to each other, there's a little bit more uh substance to these relationships. And and to a degree John is looking for something like that too. He wants to make a little bit more sense out of the life he was brought up with, a very tumultuous life on the reservation, because he's getting mixed signals. He's being brought up by a woman who is obviously a pariah because she comes from a completely different and universally opposed set of values that was conditioned into her from the time that she was hatched in a in a in a test tube in a decanter in a jar And, um, and he's reading, he's, he's, he's looking for Shakespeare. He's looking for something a little bit more. And when he, when he finds out that there's something he's, he's obviously attracted to Lenina, he wants to go off and find out what more is of this world that his mother had left behind. And when he gets there, he realizes he's nothing but a circus freak. He's a circus freak and all the things that he was hoping to, to get a little bit more of, the shakespeare the literature the, the 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 cleanliness everything else the structure is really just a, a bigger hell than the one the jungle he just came from only now as i said before he is a uh, he's a circus he's a he's a sideshow and he's a sideshow of bernard marx a real slime ball who brings John into his domain to bring him back, to I guess wage war on this director. A director who once, uh, when he comes in, let's see here. It's soon. Let's see. Does John fit in anywhere? That's what I'm saying. There you go. Does John fit in anywhere? No, he doesn't. So by the end of chapter eight, we realize that John is the director's son. And Linda is the director of the Hatchery's Lost Love that he's talking about in a previous previous chapter. So where do they go? They take him back, and Bernard Marx is going to exploit the relationship that Linda had with the director and also their love child, their, their, their baby boy, John, which is going to destroy the director's career. And he does so right as the director is trying to uh, pretty much expel... Bernard Marx from their little society by saying that he is unfit and he's destabilizing everything. Now in chapter nine, as soon as they got back, Lenina just completely doses herself with the Soma. The Soma taking is, is over the top now. She took six uh, six half gram tablets of Soma, lay down on her bed, and within 10 minutes, she had embarked for a lunar etern- Eternity. It would be eighteen hours at least before she was in time again. Now the 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 usage of of Soma takes such a crazier twist now. They're back at the lab in chapter 10. Let's see here. Um they're back at the lab at chapter 10. That is where Bernard is accused. This man, he pointed at Bernard, the director did. This man who stands before you, this alpha plus to whom so much has been given and from whom in consequence so much is to be expected, this colleague of yours, or should I anticipate and say ex-colleague, has grossly betrayed the trust imposed in him by his heretical views on sport and soma, by the scandalous orthodox unorthodoxy of his sex life, that is to want something a little bit more than just floozies all the time. And he interrupts him right there, and that's when he brings out both John and Linda, and that's the end of the director. And it is also the beginning of what is almost like a celebrity, a celebrity kind of status that Bernard has been looking for his entire life. A little bit of status, a little bit of, of uh, you know, uh, sex appeal. He starts being able to sleep with three or four women a day, and um, and he wants validation. But baked into the whole thing, you can tell that this was fleeting because like everything else things get old uh John's presence will get old we, uh, you don't we haven't gotten there yet but it seems I mean it's going there you can tell because even the uh the head head honcho um Mustafa Bond what what where is he at? Mufasa <laughs> I think it's Mustafa Mond even the head honcho there is starting to get annoyed with the idea that uh, Bernard is acting in some way as an expert on what uh, John the Savage can bring to the table as a maybe a point of reflection for how society can be tinkered with and, and analyzed. You can tell that he's everything is going to be very short-lived for for Bernard and good and good because he's just pathetic and the more pathetic he gets the less i uh the less i care about him but there's more here there's more here um the death pretty much the the euthanizing of linda linda comes in then comes in uh john we get to chapter 11 the last chapter of this of this uh this session and we have this the return to civilization for her was for her the return to Soma. This is Linda. Chat, page 154. Was the possibility of lying in bed and taking holiday after holiday without ever having to come back to a headache or a fit of vomiting, without ever being made to feel as you always felt after peyote, after um, as though you'd have done something so shamefully antisocial that you could never hold up your head again. Soma played none of these unpleasant tricks. The holiday it gave was perfect, and the morning after was disagreeable. It was so. It was so non-intrinsically, but only a comparison with the joys of the holiday. The remedy was to to make the holiday continuous. The remedy was to make the holiday continuous, which means you are never leaving the days of the drug. Greedily, Linda clamored for ever larger, ever more frequent doses. Dr. Shaw at uh, at first demurred At first, didn't want her to take so much, but then let her have what she wanted. She took as many as 20 grams a day. Listen to this. It's incredibly dark. Here's a quote. Which will finish her off in a month or two, the doctor confided to Bernard. One day, the respiratory center will be paralyzed. No more breathing. Finished. And a good thing, too. If we could rejuvenate, of course, it would be different, but we can't. We can't rejuvenate her. She's too old. She's been through too much. Um, She's too repulsive to the sight and to the smell. And uh, it's just better that we put her on the Soma and just just, uh, push her off into eternity. And you you think, think about this. He says, but aren't you shortening her life by giving her so much, says Bernard. In in some sense, yes, Dr. Shaw admitted, but in others, we actually are lengthening the life. Now, listen to this sick, sick stuff here. Modern medicine, gobbledygook, right here. In one sense, we're shortening your life by euthanizing you, but in another, we are lengthening it. The young man stared uncomprehending. Soma may make you lose a few years in time, The doctor went on, but think of the enormous, immeasurable durations it can give you out of time. Every Soma holiday is a bit of what our ancestors used to call eternity. So is he saying that if we can get you so deeply embedded into this drug, that the high that you're going to experience is going to dilate any kind of sense of timekeeping that you have. So even though you might just be spending in real life, a couple of weeks of a miserable existence laying in a bed so drugged out that there's nothing left to you except you're just a piece of meat that does not die. In that high, for as long as you are alive, for as long as you are breathing in that bed, in that state of euphoria, in that inebriated state, you are going to be experiencing what will feel like an eternity of joy, and happiness and um elation it's just so it's so incredibly dark for just to see that kind of reasoning because we know that reasoning is being employed today especially when we get into transgenderism and stuff like that um and then here we have this again obamacare again on page 155 of course dr shaw went on you can't allow people to go popping off into eternity if they've got any serious work to do but as she hasn't got any serious work, then she's got to go. You can't just let somebody just go and spend all their days on uh, in a uh, in a in a in a state of God knows what else if they have to go out there and work. Now here's the thing: What was Bernard's aim? Was Bernard's aim really just about if you can't beat him, join him? Because it's one thing it was it just it, it seemed to me. This is the question I have for you guys It seemed to me that Bernard really wanted to find some sense of the world around him But perhaps when he went to the reservation he had already been under the The acceptance of there is no sense to be made of this and it's just whatever let me try to find a way to climb the the, the ladder of status a little bit while I'm I'm here for however many years I'm here, I don't know. Is that it? Larkstar says egotistical. I'm 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 working off the chat room now. I'm gonna get you guys in like that. That is um uh, that's my that's my my thoughts of this. Is it just that he just jumped off of the train? He got his credit through John, right. Right, Nancy. Yes, he did get his credit. I know he saw an opportunity through exploiting John and, in a smaller sense, Linda. But there is, there's just that that small contradiction of what 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 I thought was a uh, a a person that wanted something beyond the system. And now I guess if you can't beat him, join him. I guess that's that. Uh, oh, here Jay Dyer is joining us right now. Jay, welcome to the show, man.
1: Hey, how are
0: you? I'm doing well. So we're all talking right now. I'll, I'll just ask you this. My question that I was, I was posing to the audience right now is what was Bernard's aim at this point by Chapter 11? Because when um, obviously he sees opportunity in exploiting John and Linda, uh, there's opportunity for status and all the kind of feelings of acceptance. He wasn't getting anywhere else But at the beginning of the book he seemed like he was inching toward a journey of really trying to find something Beyond the system itself. It was it really just a classic example of if you, if you can't beat him join him He could have just stayed there on the reservation if he wanted to what do you think the motivation? With this character arc with Bernard is I'm
1: hold on I'm behind <laughs> So, I'm uh, halfway through 11. So, what are you talking about? So, uh, just
0: about uh, pretty much just what the, the the motivation for Bernard's exploiting John and Linda is. Because earlier in the book it seemed like he was really trying to find a way to uh, to make sense of the world beyond the the constructs of of the hatchery and the conditioning and and the and the uh, oh. you know, the relationships. What do you think the real the real situation with him is at this point?
1: a selfish pragmatist i think he 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 has elements of problems but he's also a petty sort of character and since he's petty he kind of uh falls back into this self-centered and just kind of pragmatic attitude so that would be my take on his character development because i think it's an odd structured book because we we kind of think that bernard or uh or that that, yeah that bernard's going to be the protagonist and he kind of is, but then it's gonna shift more so to John the Savage and his relationship to the civilization, uh the you know, character Mustafa Mond and the heavily philosophical debate that goes on in is it eleven where they have the discussion about um suppressed and hidden philosophy and metaphysics? Yeah. No, that's twelve. Excuse me, that's the next chapter.
0: That's the next chapter, I think. Yeah, you're right. Because I don't you're remember right. it here. Um, no, it's it's. Uh, I can see where you're going with that one. I, but by by the end, going toward the end of eleven, we see how whatever kind of status um, that that Bernard is is picking up from this this latest, uh, this uh, you know the the like I said the exploitation of John and Linda is is going to be short-lived mustafa mond is uh angered at the almost um at the the audacity that he that uh bernard has to give any kind of lecture to him which is a little another one of a uh, a glimpse into what upward mobility inside of these statist models really are about there is no upward mobility uh stability in a civilization like this is just another word for never being a change in ruler and um and that's what we have now i think the other thing as i'm getting to the end of of this of my notes and i'll just let you give me some some general uh, thoughts and then we'll get into our our thread here by the end of chapter 11 i really just it was almost it was heart- heartbreaking because especially with john as we see that there really is we saw that okay well bernard's the misfit well no there's no bigger misfit than john he wants to belong somewhere he can't belong he does not belong on the reservation because his mother has created uh, them uh, this, They're a pariah because how deconditioned She was and how that has uh, rubbed off on not only her social status, but his inability to get with anybody He's also a pariah. He's a a circus sideshow in the the other the other world and and um, but even here though he had such a tumultuous relationship with his mother so much abuse and and so much you know uh, her inability to really care for him there is still that human connection with your parents that even though she was kept in this soma coma for the last days of her life there he is on cha- I'm, and page 160 uh bernard is um is uh, is still like uh Confused by the savage says he refuses to take Soma and seems much distressed because the woman Linda his and he's blanking out mother His mother remains permanently on holiday It is worthy of note that in spite of his mother's senility and the extreme repulsiveness of her appearance The savage frequently goes to see her and appears to be much attracted to her an interesting example of the way in which early conditioning can be made to modify and and again not really connecting that this is just the way that we mothers are important and even though she was such a you know uh uncaring mother and was not designed to be that way he still had to be there for her like we go to a a hospital for people that we love um it's just so uncaring and so dark
1: yeah she wanted an abortion right she couldn't get that and then she was too ashamed because she had had this monstrosity offspring to go back <laughs> to the to the world state with her baby so um the world state conditioned her to be an outcast which is wild and i thought it was crazy and and you know another element of that dystopian stuff that we see now is that the words father and mother are considered bad words right you're not supposed to say those words it, it's it's likened to a, a naughty word the word father and then it's blanked out like you said when he writes that report for mustafa mon and Mustafa Mons says, "What an idiot does he think I don't know what the word is?" Um, but yeah, I think that you know th- this is demonstrating the the breakdown, of, and that the when when people from that society encounter uh, a more normal, healthy society, they can't handle it. Right? They have a they have a, a breakdown because they're conditioned against it. And we're starting to see right now in our society that division between you know people who are the normies that just basically have mental breakdowns when they encounter the reality that those of us that are awake know about, you know, you either conform to it, wake up to it, or you have a kind of a mental breakdown and and a dissociation kind of like Linda does. So Linda's kind of like the normie, you know, that, that we deal with in our day, but, um, yeah, I got lost on Linda. There, what, where were you at with that? I
0: forgot. Well, I, I wanted to, the one thing I did. I wanted to ask you about Linda was how maybe I, I overlooked it or I don't know where I lost it, but how did she get left behind? Obviously, she is. She does not want. She longs for the old world. She longs for the soma. She longs for everything. Is she? Uh, she... There was some kind of
1: story about the, that she had uh, bumped her head or something, and then she got lost and left behind, and she got found by a group of Indians. Ah. And then, but you can't have an abortion on the reservation. So,
0: right, gotcha. Okay, well, that well, that makes a little bit of sense, I guess. There's uh some chatter in the chat room here too. Let's see, birthing. Oh yeah, they they keep saying birthing person. Yeah, we get a lot of that tonight on the seven exactly. Show. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's see. Nothing worse that than they... chest
1: feeding, right? That she they're they're embarrassed by breastfeeding. Yep. And then nowadays, people because of the you know ideology, the skittles ideology out there, you call it chest feeding instead of breastfeeding because there's no men and women have breasts and can feed babies right
0: well Which you're is... you what was it two years ago that they introduced that term front hole to us you remember <laughs> that you remember that one <laughs> front <laughs> front hole i dig. like oh mike it's just it's just all over the place but uh, thankfully uh, let's see. NJSF says I've also found interesting the last scene in chapter eleven with John not going with Lenina despite her clear invites and resisting his attraction for her. Yeah. Well, after that feely movie, mm-hmm. they went. What was it? Three three weeks in a helicopter. They were talking about where a uh, a, a, a a maniacal black person took a blonde woman and uh, and and went and kept her in a hovercraft for three weeks and finally, and they're they're alone for three weeks, and finally the whole series of adventures and much uh, let's see here the the, the three young alphas succeeded in rescuing her, the negro was packed off to an adult reconditioning center and the film ended happily and uh, decorously with the beta blonde becoming the mistress of all three of her rescuers at the same time, so there you go there's there's a oh, uh,
1: it's a a prawn action movie.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So there 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 it is. And of course that made John very uncomfortable. But this is supposed to be poignant in that society, whereas seeing a woman breastfeed a child, that's what makes you blush.
1: Exactly. Yeah, good point.
0: Yeah. So that's just it. All right. Well, that gets me to the end of eleven. Any any so general thoughts on your on your reading and and overall themes, uh, whatever you got for us, Jay. I know you've been uh,
1: on the road. Some, you know, Going back to Seven, um, stuff like when they are on the reservation, You know, it's described like a human zoo in ways. And, and the irony, of course, is that the civilization is also kind of a zoo because the, the humans on the civilization are uh, you know, emasculated, they're um, you know, broken in, they're sterile. And the, we have the phrase civilization is sterilization which is wild because sterilization doesn't just uh, think, I mean, we think about this, especially post coof because of everything being constantly sterilized, which was all very dystopian. The sterile can also mean you don't have offspring, right? Everybody is literally sterilized. Um, Breastfeeding, as he says, unnatural. Uh, Let's see what else the, the, the ceremonies are interesting. I thought the contrast between. You know the discussions of the the ayahuasca and all that stuff and, and things that were going on on the reservation contrasted to what we think is a scientism-based society in the world state but in actual in actual fact the scientism-based society is also fundamentally religious because they have that discussion of uh bernard being a heretic because he has he's a heretic when it comes to sports <laughs> yeah uh he, soma and sex life uh and so he's a conspirator against civilization they say
0: what was the uh, sport what, what what was the this i understand the sex life thing because he wanted to to date lenina a little bit more exclusively but right. but what, what was the sport uh uh heresy
1: uh good point i'm trying to think they talked about playing electromagnetic golf um, so maybe there was a point where he said he didn't like the golf. I don't remember, but I just thought it was funny that they're calling him a heretic and a conspirator against sports. I know. <laughs> like, yes. So showing the sports is part of the, you know, control mechanism, which is totally true today, right? Yes.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely it is. Um, so I have a little bit more let's see, let's get into the
1: They got pickle punks, right? Unbottling the babies, the pickle punks. Did you see that part? Yes. Yes. You know, what a, you know what a pickle punk is, right? Did we talk about that?
0: No. 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 No, what is that?
1: Have you ever seen like um the carnival, you know, at the carnival when they have those jars of of weird babies in jars or like oh. a mad scientist that has a bunch of babies in a jar with the formaldehyde? Uh or who knows what they're doing, right? Um the Erlenmeyer flask if you watch X-Files. Yes. Yes. Okay. So those are called. Okay. I, I didn't even know they have a name. They're called pickle punks. So that's what that's. I, I when I see unbottled babies, are like, you know, baby Walmart, where you basically go at the baby factory and you know they're unbottling and opening up all their all their babies. I just thought that was weird. Or when you th-
0: when you throw the ping pong ball into the fish bowls, that that's another one. that be <laughs> <laughs> who knows. Yeah. I there was a few other things there <clears> too. <throat> of course, they they went a little bit deeper into music. There's a lot more music in there as well. Oh, right, right, right. But as as we said, you know, chapters 1 through 6 was primarily Chapter 6 is when we really started seeing a a greater narrative forming. Chapters 1 through 5 really just set up the world that we were going to be no. uh, working in, and now right. we're seeing, as you said, there there is a a very weird crossover of who is going to be the protagonist. And uh, introducing John and uh, Bernard Marx becomes more and more detestable. And uh, let's see here. Here's the first one up from. 20- oh, and
1: they said John believes in the soul, too. That was a, that was an important thing, because there's going to be a big debate in the next chapter and a discussion about um, religious, metaphysical, transcendent truths and the intention to suppress those things on the part of the world state um, and it will come up because of this discussion of him believing in the soul
0: well uh, speak you know what speak a little bit because I, I was doing this in my notes but uh, that was the other big theme of all of lenina and bernard's adventures into the reservation was finding that not only is this a place where older customs and and uh Languages have survived in their own way, but we see how the older world religions, whether it be Native American, Christianity, have kind of overlapped and intermingled with each other, that there's these, these, uh, these new mutant forms of religion that that uh, smack of what we know of them today but obviously projected into the future it's a little bit of american american indian shamanism and then christianity they have the the crucifix and it's uh you can see that that melding
1: yeah that's a great point it reminded me of dune because in dune there's a uh evolution of the religions to be uh this thing that's like uh, Catholicism with mixed with Sufism, Sufi stuff. So it's like they talk about the, um, the Butlerian Jihad that they have against the AI in one point. And they talk about um, uh, all these different sort of Su- Sufi principles mixed with, and they have in the Dune world, they have what they call the, the Orange Catholic Bible, uh, which they said is a mix of uh, Islam and, and Catholicism. So that's kind of similar stuff going on here where we have these uh, indigenous ayahuasca, uh, you know, Native American type uh, traditions. They talk about the crucifix. They mentioned earlier, you know, something like priests or Christians. So it wasn't exactly sure. Another element too, just a side note that we didn't see notice very much was economics. There's a little bit of economics mentioned. I think there's one mention of banks that I noticed. I just I thought that was odd that in this brave new world really not economics. Like, like, you know, there's not a whole lot, and that's part of the dystopia, right? Because economics presupposes the freedom and the right of you to engage in commerce. Um, and there was a, something about, you know, I think, was it Bernard earlier on was like, oh, I, I left the perfume thing running and it's going to, you know, uh, cost me or he, he said something like that, but we don't get the impression that people are too concerned about economics. And the other thing I was going to say is that um, Brave New World, I forgot, is a, a phrase from The Tempest. And that's important because, you know, you have in that the control of weather in, from by magical means. And then you have in that chapter where the, uh, they talk about, I think it's a chapter where they talk about Brave New World being, they mentioned the weather department, uh, which made me think of, you know, geoengineering and that kind of stuff. But the so they they have a society that's in a sense magical uh, and so I think you know when Bernard's reading the Bible and reading Shakespeare all the time he's he he is probably thinking of the world through the lens of Shakespeare he's like oh you have the power to you know control and condition things like your weather department that's like what's in the tempest because isn't it the tempest where they have where they they have the magical uh, incantation to bring the storm i think is a, i think that's right yes. i haven't read shakespeare and yeah i i, I did in college it's been a long time since so i had it but
0: there's not o- where there, there's yeah,
1: prospero right the tempest yeah Prospero. yeah,
0: yeah. And, and there's an othello uh there's an othello uh reference yeah the in othello
1: well. reference where he talks about the black guy in the movie right yeah
0: absolutely that he was the that was Othello. but um uh here's here's a um a we don't have that many people that have been in the thread this week which is fine uh, because ladies and gentlemen forever and always you can just add to these threads and talk to each other on this forum and that'd be great because there's going to be more generations of people who listen to these book club sessions and follow along in the future once they go public but um uh, this is from 26 ahab Says Jay's angle. Uh, Jay Dyer threw a bit of a curveball the other night. One that I definitely didn't see coming. The idea that Huxley wasn't necessarily trying to warn us of a possible future uh, as outlined by the pre- uh, the present course of our society, but to boast of one he hoped to see fulfilled, or at least to be confident that it was coming. Now I'm no scholar. In fact, this is the this is only the second time I've read this novel in the last decade. And it's the only piece of work that I've ever, of his work I've ever read. But in the myriad of pop culture type references to Brave New World that I have observed during that time, not once have I gotten the impression that he may have actually been at or around the nexus of a plan to functionally guide us into such a future. So would that make this book a type of propaganda? If so, would it be considered a success or a failure of its intended effect?
1: Uh, well, I mean, you can go watch the Berkeley lectures, like I mentioned, where in the Berkeley lectures, he says this is going to happen. We're, he says something like, we're going to do this. It's probably been 10, 10 years since I've listened to the Berkeley lectures. But, I mean, in, in the introduction, he says that this is going to happen. It's not a uh, fiction story. It's true. And his whole life and his whole history and all the people that he was around and worked with for his entire life, uh absolutely demonstrates that he was a part of this his brother is the one that wrote the philosophy of UNESCO coined the term transhumanism um i've never if you read uh, huxley's other books like uh the perennial philosophy he's essentially promoting the one world religion that is that you find in this hmm. so I mean, he literally wrote a book on the world, one world religion, called "The Perennial Philosophy." So, absolutely, he's involved in it. And what, where is there any evidence that he was opposed to any of this? I mean, he's he's the father of M. Keltra. so no. I mean, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just saying, uh, yeah you you can you can discover that very easily by looking at the Royal Society, uh, by looking at the Fabian Socialists, uh, whom with whom he ran, and you will find everything to be what i'm saying i think
0: okay yeah no and i i think uh i I think it'd be a pretty if if it is propaganda and uh i think it'd be a pretty big success yeah
1: whether that's a good question so is he trying to propagandize this i'm not sure i mean it's i don't know his motives maybe he just thought there's also uh accusations i don't know if this is true there's accusations that he ripped this off of an older polish uh dystopian story um now I haven't read that book so I I can't say but um so he could have been just grifting he could have been uh, you know conning people he could have been bragging about what his elite circles are going to do or perhaps he just wrote what he thought would be a really spicy book I mean you know if you watch the Berkeley lectures I don't I mean it's pretty obvious he's a part of the inner inner clique mm-hmm. 100% I,
0: I got to get that out there um maybe we'll we'll link that at the end of this cuz it looks like from what we have left in this book it looks like we have two sessions left uh, if we're going to take it 50, 50 pages at a time. Um, but we'll we'll talk about that in just a second. I have one here, a uh, um, note here from Casey. Casey Kakalaki says, in this chunk of the story, I come to find that Lenina is, in fact, pneumatic. If by pneumatic, they mean powered by pressurized air. She is a total twat. I thought the whole time that Bernard was going to be to use this trip to make a break for it. How, and I did, too. Uh, the first time I uh, I read this, Casey, I, I really did too. Um, I didn't remember a lot of the details when I was going into this right now for the second time in the last five years, but I I knew that he wasn't going to make a break for it. Now it's all coming back to me. But um, However, it turns out that he's just the inspiration for another Weasley character I've met in a different story named Harold Lauder. I'm uh, cheering for John the Savage now. Not that he enlightens anyone, but just that he makes it out alive. The way Huxley described the reservation makes me wonder if that's what reservations looked like back, in, back then, or if he properly predicted the squalor and the desperation that would come from a government-orchestrated concentration of social group on their native lands. I've heard over the years that the piling up of trash and broken down vehicles became a reality on some reservations as American reality played out in the years after this story was published. I found myself heartbroken for Linda and John as I know that they're now both men without a country. Hmm. hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I yeah, I wonder about that too. I've never heard about uh I never heard anything very good about the the conditions of, of Native American
1: reservations, so Yeah, I had that in my notes, um, and because I was going to say that, I think he intentionally—I may have mentioned this last week. If I did, I don't don't, uh, apologize. But you know, the the if you go to the reservations and you see what that life is like, it's very dismal. It's very controlled, and the the uh, welfare that that they were put on and given as a form of reparations, ironically. Was actually a means of controlling them, and so none of those people then had the drive to get out from under the Uncle Sam's uh, nanny state, you know, Dole, and so that's why you find if you go to the reservations, you'll see. And I'm not knocking these people; I think it's terrible. You'll see the uh, degradation and the and the, you know, they're all there's just rampant uh, meth, uh, alcoholism, and gambling, because there's no incentives to work or to get out of that that life. And so that, that was done by design as a microcosm of what you later see in, uh, LBJ's great society and the push for the welfare society and get, getting everyone on the dole, which is admitted to be a, a control mechanism, right? Cloward and Piven, uh, it's, it's a form of socialism and then it transitions. Then you can, you can zoom out the universal base, basic income and everything that Klaus and company are pushing is a global version of that original uh, reservation model.
0: Yeah oh yeah G- great great point about about great society really great point because i mean i i'm thinking about the reservation i think about the, what we see coming out of places like philadelphia right now and uh oh, oh exactly. god it's a uh, skid row it's just the, sort of zo-
1: the fentanyl zombie street yeah
0: yeah literal zombies at this point um G A girl says I can't help but be disappointed with Bernard. I had hope for him, but as soon as he worked out the deal to bring Linda and John back, he turned into what everyone else was. I'm cheering for John. I hope he gets away from these monsters before they start experimenting on him. I'm sure they would love to try to condition a fresh brain.
1: Jerry, oh by the way, yeah, I forgot to mention uh, Huxley was a huge promoter of LSD. And I'm not knocking people that have done hallucinogens or saying you're a bad person. I've done hallucinogens. I've done LSD many times in the past, but I'm saying, I don't do them now, but I'm saying when I was young. Um, but I mean, if, you know, if you know, the history of LSD, in my view, that was all a uh, part of the, you know, Tavistock, uh, you know, CIA operations to yeah. push that as part of the counterculture, which they themselves were behind. And you know, you can, if, if you want to see, you know, the two main people behind this, well, but first it's, Huxley in the UK and then uh it's Tim Leary in the US and you can go look at the clip where Tim Leary says if you mm-hmm. want to thank anybody for the 60s revolution he says you can thank me and the CIA so in the clip he says that so so that's another point I wanted to, to, to mention about whether Huxley was a good guy or a bad guy.
0: See I'm telling you once we finish up this book we have to we have to put somewhere down the line a another appearance of you on quite frankly so we can do a uh, counterculture 1960s Laurel Canyon the whole damn thing um I, I think it I think it's so in, incredibly interesting because I always wonder what was I've had old hippies call into the show and tell me Frank I can tell you. I can tell you there was a very definitive split in the sand even back then for us. There were those of us who were out there protesting against war. We knew exactly what we were we were pro free speech, anti-war, and we were and and we saw we saw these uh these these forces coming in and starting up with all the really hard uh the you know the acid and and everything else and there was a split there and it became very psychotic and um, so because some people don't know chicken or the egg what happened was it the drugs and the cia that started all the the counter the counter uh, culture movement there too or was there something legitimate happening that again was co-opt uh co opted
1: oh so i think there's a little bit of both so okay. you got you know a genuine anti-war movement a genuine anti-war sentiment a lot of artists and people who you know were organic and then quite uh, very, very swiftly, that sort of gets co-opted and turns into very degenerate things that distracted from uh, activism and causes. It turned into Jim Morrison, you know, doing crazy things on stage and bombed out of his mind. It turned into, you know, all these other things, uh, which you know Dave argues in "We're S- S- S Inside the Canyon" was uh, really to just steer the movement in that that kind of a direction by design, because these uh, big think tanks. Well, for the New Agers, the real think tank is the Esalen Institute. And so that, and I uh, forgot to mention, Huxley was part of the Esalen Institute. So the, the New Age movement um, ideologically springs not just from Blavatsky earlier on, but in the modern, you know, up in the 60s, it comes out of Esalen. If you look at the history of Esalen, you'll see a lot of uh, these sort of social engineers. You'll find the Huxleys there, Deepak Chopra. You know, they've had a long history of, of all these sort of New Agey people. And um, it's, an, it's another pinpoint because uh, uh Huxley went to Esalen and taught there
0: well for the uh for the line oh, we have another great uh, another great in-depth post from NJSF I I, I hope, really hope that people go and read all this because the comments are great the counter comments are great um but since I haven't written I read one from Jerry Coogan in the last couple of weeks, I'm going to read this one. This will be the last one of the night. Jerry says, I'm appreciating this book far more than when I first read it about 45 years ago. The writing is far better than I remembered and the scenarios, which I initially thought were far too far-fetched, now seem almost commonplace. Either I had, uh, I had too sheltered a life back then, or we've fallen a long way since the 1970s. I suspect it's a little bit of the former and a great deal of the latter. Uh, the one thing that's standing out for me in this moment is that no, not one of the characters seems to have anything about them which would make me want to identify with them. Yes, it's almost like with *Idiocracy*. Um, uh, uh, Jay, you know how in *Idiocracy* you're so far into the future that um, there's really there's just nothing. It, it is really the most one of the most desolate movies out there. To think that you're just average Joe. Uh, 500 years in the future, and there's just there's no one around you really can latch onto. There's just nothing. Um, but you, I guess, you have to make best with what you have. For instance, Jerry goes on. As soon as Bernard Marx finds he's popular, he totally indulges in all the hedonistic self-gratification which he had previously condemned. It turns out that his critical posture was merely envy of the popularity of the alphas who were supposedly his peers. Lenina is pathetically materialistic and shallow. The one person with whom I presume we're supposed to identify with is clearly out of his depth and incapable of doing anything about either his own fate or the plight of the mental zombies around him. I'm thoroughly enjoying revisiting brave brave new world perhaps i should re- read brave new world revisited next
1: yeah, I, I need to read it too and uh, i highly recommend everyone watch huxley's uh berkeley lectures so because uh it's they're also very very revealing i'm gonna try to pull those up for you
0: okay that'd be wonderful i'd love to get that out there I th- as far as reading for next week goes we're now knocking on the door of chapter 12 so I say we go from page from chapter 12 to the end of 15. So if you have the the paperback, that's page 172 to 1 to 216. 172 to 216. And then that means uh after that our last session is going to be pages 217 to the end, which is like 258 or something. So
1: uh, yeah, by the way, I, I won't be uh, traveling, I don't think, anywhere next week, so there won't be any problems about me being late. I apologize. No, dude. It's, it it's, it, it just, just happened that the last two weekends we were uh, out of town both weekends, but uh, we're not doing any traveling for a while, so everything should be good.
0: It's totally fine. I uh, I got to get through some notes. I got to talk to the the, uh, the the chat room a little bit, and I knew you were on your way, and this turned out to be just fine. So we'll do that later on and uh if there's anything else you got jay you just uh, throw it on out there and we'll just yeah
1: so if people do want to do the um the berkeley lecture before next week you want to watch it it's it's go on youtube it's called uh there's there's different ones there's one which is his interview with mike wallace which is also worth uh watching as well but it's called the Ultimate Revolution, the UC Berkeley speech by Huxley, and it's an hour and a half. But I highly, highly recommend watching it.
0: Okay, uh, if you send me that, you can send me the link, and I'll. Uh, yeah. oh, okay, you did great. So I'll, I'll pass that along. Oh wait, did you send it to me right now?
1: Yeah, in your Twitter. There.
0: All, right. All right, hold on. Let me because I'll I'll put it into the chat room for the people who are watching right now, and hopefully those who watch the rerun will see it pop up in the the live rerun of the chat. And then we'll call the ultimate revolution.
1: Yeah. All right. Hold on a second.
0: There. Got the link ultimate revolution copy. And it's here. It is in the chat room, ladies and gents. Enjoy that. And maybe I'll put it into the notes for tonight as well. Uh, Hold on. Hold on. In fact, I'm going to put it into the thread. Hold on. I'm going to put it into the top of the thread. Let me. Well, I'll, I'll edit that in a, in a second. Well, Jay, that's all I got right now. So, just, just as a, uh, it's chapters 12 through 15. 12, 11, 12
1: to 15.
0: Yeah. Right. Okay. 12, 13, 14, and 15. And that's it.
1: That's now, 12 uh, is going to be great because this is one of the most important chapters in the whole book because it's going to be, like I said, this debate over um, suppressed truth, suppressed science, suppressed metaphysics. And the ethics of doing that, they're going to have this argument, Mustafa Mond and uh, I think John the Savage have this argument over why. And so it's going to be a really important insight into the attitude of the Fabian socialists and why they think this way.
0: Sounds good. This is going to be a great one. Everybody take a lot of notes for this one, guys. Uh, All right. uh, That's
1: it. I got to run.
0: Take care, man. Thank you. All the best. All right, ladies and gents. That's all. Okay, I'm putting it into the, let me see here. There you go. I'll make it clickable. Boom. All right, I have now gone and altered the the main the topic on the thread. So there you go. When it says the open thread, go to the bottom, you'll see. Here is the video suggested by Jay Dyer. Where is the screenshot? There it is. Right there. I added it right there now. So I put it in the chat room, and for those of you, for all the years to come, there you can find it right there in the chat, in the thing. I'm going to go and uh, find myself something to eat and take some SOMA. Forget this day. I'll see you tomorrow at 7. All right? Take care.